You're listening to Fundraising Radio, a podcast about fundraising for early stage startups. The major rule that we follow here is no bullshit on this podcast. No music to relax you, no advertisements of our sponsors. We only talk about fundraising here and nothing else. So let's jump into the episode. And today is a guest speaker. We have Steve Miller, founding partner at Origin Ventures. He started Origin Ventures 22 years ago. So in this episode, we'll mostly talk about this transition that he saw in the VC field over these 22 years, where it was in 2000 and where it is right now in 2021. So Steve, let's kick it off by you giving us some background on yourself and on Origin Ventures. Well, thanks, Constantine. It's uh, great to be here. I appreciate the opportunity to uh, participate with you here on, on this great podcast. So I actually grew up uh, in uh, I grew up in a family business. Uh, my dad and my uncle started a company in 1956 that was a mail order office supply business. Uh, where catalogs were printed and mailed out uh, to small and medium-sized businesses to order office supplies from. And the company grew over 42 years to become quite successful. And I was fortunate enough to, to grow up as the son of an entrepreneur and the nephew of an entrepreneur and to really deeply understand and appreciate how how challenging it is and how wonderful it is and how much hard work it takes and all of the pluses and minuses of, of being an entrepreneur. I was able to, to view that and be part of that uh, uh, through my, my dad's and uncle's family business. And I worked there um, during high school and college, during vacations from those from school. And then after I graduated from the University of Illinois in 1987, I went back to Quill uh, full-time, Quill was the name of the company, and I worked there for 10 years um, after college, a number of operating roles. I moved to Canada and ran our distribution center in Toronto, came back from there and had P&L responsibility for a $30 million product line. Uh, and while I was doing that in the mid-90s, the internet started to bubble up into public consciousness. People started to use it for business and I wrote the business plan for Quill's first website nice. in 1995. And then I managed the team that executed it over the next couple of years, took it to $15 million in revenue on our website at Quill, which was really still only a small percentage of Quill's overall revenue at the time, which was mostly still being done via the 72 million printed catalogs that got sent out. but. Nice. Um, Staples, uh, Staples came calling and was interested in acquiring Quill. And so our family sold it to them at that time in 1998. And that is when I began this journey and co-founded Origin Ventures. Nice. So yeah, let's start there. Let's start in 1998 and then transition straight to 2021. What's the major transition in the VC field that you saw? So what's the major difference? being a VC back then and being a VC right now in 2021? Well, I, I would, I mean, there's several, I think. Um, first of all, I'm based in Chicago and the startup ecosystem, entrepreneurial ecosystem and, and the sophistication and quantity of uh, funders in Chicago and in the Midwest uh, is much different now than it was back then, much more of a developed ecosystem. Uh, there are companies here in Chicago 
Uh, for instance, Grubhub is one of them, which, and we happen to, I, I mentioned that on purpose because we happen to be the first investors in Grubhub. So, uh, you know, that is a Chicago success story, a company that started in Chicago, got seed funding from us in Chicago, continued to grow significantly, got growth funding from Benchmark, which is a blue chip um, Silicon Valley venture headquartered in Chicago and had a great exit and mm -hmm. now is a New York Stock Exchange company still headquartered in Chicago. So that's one of many examples of Chicago-based companies that didn't exist 20-some years ago when we started Origin <laughs> Ventures. And, and uh, the, that's just one example of how, uh, at least in Chicago, how venture capital and the entrepreneurial ecosystem have changed. Um, just overall, in general, uh, another example of how things have changed is the, the size of funding rounds. Um, so a Series A back then may have been a million dollars or a couple million bucks. Now it's it's you know two times that size mm -hmm. or more. And you know one reason for that is because startups can bootstrap themselves into a a much um, stronger position now than they were able to back then. Back then you needed to uh, rent office space and buy servers and uh, make a, a number of of thing a number of investments early on. Uh, to try and get to revenue uh, where now you're able to grow in a much more significant way um, uh, with much less capital early on. And therefore, uh, when you're ready for a Series A these days, it's a much more uh, significant size one. Sure, sure, sure. Very good point there. And yes, Grubhub is a super interesting you know, topic for discussion. So let's talk about it a little bit more. So you were the first investor in this unicorn company. Were there some particular, you know, green flags that told you this company is going to be unicorn or was it just, you know, you like the team and you were like, okay, I'm pretty sure this team will create something good. Well, I, it, I it's, it's a combination of a number of things. We loved the team, Matt Maloney, who happens to could still be the CEO of the company, even to this nice. day. And it's a multi-billion-dollar market cap company on the New York Stock Exchange, mm -hmm. and he's a co-founder of the business with Mike Evans. And the two of them uh, were terrific founders, really smart folks, really interested in in growing the business, and really they they were coachable, wanted to learn, but also knew a heck of a lot, and wanted to surround themselves with with great people, and they built a great team and built a great company. And, you know, listen, um, every, you know, Grubhub delivers food. Everybody eats multiple times a day. So the, the, the use case, the use case isn't, isn't hard to see in, in, in that. Mm -hmm. And uh, so obviously the addressable market was very large and, you know, very fragmented back then. There, were, there was no DoorDash, there was no Postmates. Uh, and so they, it was a greenfield sort of marketplace. And um, when we invested, it was five employees, all in a tiny office in Chicago. The entire the entire platform of Grubhub had a hundred restaurants on it. Again, all in Chicago, and the investment that we that we made was to take them to allow them to open up their second uh, geographic market, and mm -hmm. you know, they continued they continued to grow that way, continued to learn from each market they opened up, and they they grew a tremendous business and made a a, a very nice. Uh, exit very you know successful exit for us at Origin Ventures, and for themselves and for their other investors and for the city of Chicago and and it continues to be a, a great company.
right? It sounds like a very much win-win-win-win situation <laughs> where absolutely everyone involved in this venture was in a win position. So that's absolutely tremendous. I absolutely love this story. So um, let's talk a little bit more about, you know, creating unicorns and especially, you know, creating something new, something in a field that was basically untouched, as you said, green field. So a lot of startup founders are asking, you know, how should I present myself to investors? When I'm trying to, you know, create something new, create basically a new market, or try to disrupt an old one, so how can they present themselves to be as attractive as you know Grubhub did back in the days? Well, I think that that one thing they can do is to to gather as much data as possible. Be able to the the more a founder or a team of founders is able to back up their assumptions about the size of their market and about their pro forma financials, the, the more they're able to back up those assumptions with real data, with mm -hmm. real experience, um, the, the more likely an investor is going to be able to look at that and say, yes, I want to invest in, in this business because the case that you're making based on, on real data, backing up your assumptions is, is a good case. That's, that's a much more backable business, a much more fundable team uh, than somebody to just say well we we know we know this business is here we know the addressable market is huge we don't quite have the data we don't know how much it's going to take uh, to cost to acquire a customer we don't know what the lifetime value is of a customer we just know mm -hmm. that this is a huge market and if we only get one percent of it we'll be a big company that's not that's not really a a, <laughs> a, a, a fundable situation True, true. I've actually seen this so many times when, you know, they just present a huge, huge total addressable market and then they're like, oh, we're going to acquire 0.5% and here is our revenue. And I'm like, come on, how exactly are you going to acquire that 0.5%? Right. It, that's, a, that's, the, that's the key question, Constantine, is yeah. how, are you, how are you going to do that? Because chances are there's, you know, more than 200 other companies. If it's such a huge market, there's probably more than 200 other companies mm -hmm. To address it, and they can't all get 0.5% of the market. So, um, uh, you know, it, it's a hearing <laughs> data and understanding it and being able to present here, here's what here's our assumptions, here's the data underlying those assumptions, uh, here's how we're going to execute on, on that. Here's and here's why we're the team to do it. Perfect outline, perfect outline. So let's talk a little more about the topic that I recently started discussing with my speakers, which is, you know, the future post-COVID slash current COVID slash pre-COVID, specifically, uh, you know, investing in the United States and being a local versus being all over the United States. So you've been investing all over the United States even before the COVID hit. Why yes. is that? Yes. Um, so we, we define our geographic strategy as between the coasts. We're not the first ones to use that term, but it does apply to us. Uh, occasionally, we will make investments uh, in Silicon Valley uh, and in the Boston, New York area, but the majority of our Origin Ventures funds are deployed in places like Kansas City and Chicago and Salt Lake City and Pittsburgh and D.C. and Minneapolis and uh, we've started to make some investments in Toronto uh, and uh, you know other markets like that. Um, th there are these are underserved generally, underserved by venture capital, but they have great teams, really smart people. Uh, many times they're you know they're they're around major universities with great engineering and/or business schools. Um, these are teams that are working on solving big problems 
and and they're in big they're they're t tackling big addressable markets, uh, and uh, th that's a it's an opportunity for investors like us because many times they're overlooked by by investors in Silicon Valley, uh, mm -hmm. and yet and yet the the potential returns on these investments are are spectacular. We in fact just had an exit a few months ago a, a company of ours called Backlot Cars, uh, which is Kansas City based. That is an online version of a, a used car. It allows uh, uh, it's it's wholesale used car buying and selling. It's not for consumers to go buy a used car, but for dealerships to buy, sell, and trade their used car inventory. Uh, that kind of work has been done for a hundred years in in-person auctions that dealers would go to. Well, COVID shut down the in-person auctions, and uh, can't. And, and uh, Backlot Cars had been in business for a couple of years, already building this online marketplace, and they became tremendously valuable uh, and were acquired by a, by a New York Stock Exchange company called KAR for $425 million a few months ago. Nice. Uh, and so that was a tremendous exit, uh, again, for all involved and um, a really great team at, at Backlot Cars in, in Kansas City. Mm -hmm. True, true, true. More and more startups are coming up from Midwest and non-coastal cities in general. So that's just very exciting to see how investors are taking this opportunity. And by the way, for those of you who are in Midwest trying to figure out how to start their companies, there is an episode on fundraising Radio coming up with a venture fund called M25 and they invest solely in Midwest. So if you're curious about that, definitely stay tuned. This episode can be super fun. So next question is about, uh, I forgot to ask this question in the beginning, and that's about, you know, what do you generally invest in as Origin Ventures? What stage, what field, and what's the average check size? Uh, sure, thanks. So uh, uh, I probably should have said that myself when I when I made my introductory remarks. <laughs> we make uh, mistakes. But, but thanks for reminding me. So Origin Ventures is is primarily a Series A investor. We do we do some uh, entry points at seed and pre revenue, but primarily we're Series A investors. You already know about our our geographic focus. We talked about that. Um, we we have a, a couple of investment theses. Um, one of them is around the future of work and the future of the workplace, uh, and so software that allows enterprises to hire and retain and train and do performance reviews for their workforces. Uh, that's, a, that's a particular area of interest for us. Um, another area of interest for us is the online marketplace. That's something that we've been involved in since our first fund back in 1999. Uh, obviously, Grubhub is an example of, of an online marketplace. Uh, Backlog Cars is also an example of that. Uh, Cameo, which is another portfolio company of ours happens to be Chicago based. It's very hot right now, um, which allows people to, to buy, um, uh, to, to buy personalized video shout outs from celebrities and athletes. Uh, that's an online marketplace. So, uh, and, and online marketplaces happen to have, uh, been very useful here in the pandemic when people stopped being able to go to physical stores, uh, and started to shop online a lot. Uh, online marketplaces tended to uh, to do very well and have had a lot of tailwinds here in the pandemic. So that's been um, uh, been a positive thing for for our portfolio and for online marketplaces. Um, and another important thesis for Origin Ventures is uh, is what we refer to as 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 the uh, digital native generation. 
So uh, folks and millennials, Gen Zs, and, 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 and folks of, of that ilk and that generation who have grown up um, never, never knowing life without a smartphone, without the internet, without constantly being online. And so that presents significant opportunities for companies to be able to be born to uh, offer ways for the, that generation to live, work, and play online. And, and so that, that drives a lot of what we, what we look at. Right. And that's a lot of that thesis, to be honest. Uh, that's completely right. I cannot imagine my life without the phone. It's like, you know, I'm looking at my father who consistently loses his phone. And I'm just like, how, how can you do this? It's always in your pocket. It's just how it works. And apparently not. Um, so yeah, very good point. I personally love, you know, uh, funds that focus on Gen Z's and millennials, because I feel like that's, that's a new thing. Uh, I mean, those are the people who are going to bring the new big money. So good choice there. And now let's talk about, you know, creation of new companies uh, focused on our startup founder listeners. So what's your advice to founders who are listening to this right now? What should they start doing right now? Maybe even if they don't have a company, but something that's going to help them, you know, five years later while they're working on their startup. Well, I, I think uh, maybe there's a couple of things uh, that I can think of off the, off the top of my head. Uh, and that is uh, stay informed. Uh, uh, and you know about the world in general, about business, about trends, about problems that are that are happening in the world, that they might be able to have <clears throat> ideas uh, that that they could solve or prevent, which would be even better. Um, and and it's important that that you know that this information comes from a, a, a multiple uh, comes from multiple sources. Um, I think one of the issues we have in our society is that we're our sources of information are siloed. That that many people are getting are, are getting news and other information in, from sources that they tend to agree with, and I think it's more healthy to be, become a critical thinker and get information from a from multiple sources, including ones that you know maybe perhaps you you wouldn't agree with uh, in many cases. But I think that's that's an important thing, and, and I think that will help you. In, in not just in your business life, but in life in general, uh, exposing yourself to points of view that that perhaps you don't share, but that you can think critically about and and argue respectfully with, or perhaps even have your mind changed, which is which is also really important. And I think it's I think that's a good quality in a founder, a good quality in anybody, uh, to be able to be open minded and look at at diverging points of view. Uh, and come up with the best solution and the best ideas for, for things. So be informed uh, and, and, uh, and you know, constantly look at, uh, at how the world is, is shaping up and, and how problems are, are, are coming up and how problems are being solved and, and what kinds of ideas could you generate from there. Um, maybe related to this is, is reading, reading books by successful founders, reading books by venture investors. Um, uh, you know, one of the, one of the books that I read recently that I would, um, uh, th that I would, um, recommend is called the innovation stack by Jim McKelvey, uh, who was one of the founders of square, um, really, really interesting stuff about how to, um, how to build and grow a business and, and how to kind of 
build a moat around it and and also how to survive when you're getting attacked by a, a huge, huge competitor, potential competitor in their case, in the case of Square, it was Amazon uh, and and how they were able to withstand that. So, um, uh, you know, books like that, I think I think that is a, also an important important element for for founders, for all of us to stay educated and informed and continue to expand our mind and constantly be a, a, a learning a learning person. Perfect. Yes, I love that advice. Uh, I'll definitely make sure to leave a link to that book that you mentioned in the description of this episode. For those who cannot wait to look in the description of this episode, it's called The Innovation Stack, but it's going to be in the description. So moving on to the next question, it's going to be another question about you know the transition, especially of the VC field and maybe of yourself. Uh, so this is your own fund number five, right? Yes. So from number from fund number one to fund number five, what do you feel is the major transition that you personally went through or that Origin Ventures that went through? Well, first and foremost, it's got to be the team. That, that's the, that I think trumps everything else. Uh, uh, that uh, when it was fund one and even fund two, the entire firm consisted of myself and my co-founding partner, Bruce Barron. And, you know, we could, we certainly couldn't have, uh, I couldn't have gotten it off the ground. Neither one of us could have got, gotten it off the ground alone. And, you know, that, that also gives us a deep appreciation for, for founders and for co-founders and, and how important it is to be able to work together. Um, but really the first several years of Origin Ventures uh, and the first two funds were just Bruce and myself. But now we've got five partners We've got two offices, Chicago and Salt Lake City. We've got nine or 10 folks in the firm all together. Uh, and um, uh, that, that's a huge difference between, be, between where, we are, where we were then and, and where, we, where we are now. Uh, obviously the space that has, has changed a lot uh, in that time. And the, the practice of venture capital uh, has changed a lot during, during that time. Um, but what hasn't changed ever is the importance of, of building a great team around you, of realizing uh, what your strengths are, and more importantly, realizing where your, your skill sets don't, uh, aren't as strong and where you need to augment that by bringing in additional people around you. And, and Bruce and I have been very fortunate uh, to be able to add partners to our team, uh, as well as a, a great younger generation of talent to the origin ventures team that we're really proud of that is really cool and that's just perfect that you're bringing on more you know younger people again i'm pretty sure you get exposed to those you know points of views that you're not really sharing with those young people so that's just awesome you're following your own advice absolutely i love it so um speaking of you know following advice gain advice you are an advisor on multiple startups Question is, how can a startup get you on board as advisor or mentor or, you know, just get your feedback on their company? Is it only happening if Origin Ventures invest in them or can do you do this, you know, individually as you know, just support? Well, uh, it, it depends on which one of those things that they're asking for. Uh, you, you listed a number of things, advisor, mentor, board member. Uh, and, and so, you know, each of those categories, it kind of depends on. Um, it, it depends on what's being asked and it depends on, on uh, the situation. So, you know, almost all the time, if I'm, if I'm on the board of a company, 
it's because Origin Ventures has invested in, in the company. Uh, and so um, uh, it would be very rare for, uh, for me to join the board of, of a startup uh, that Origin Ventures has, has not invested. I, you know, we all, all of us have a limited amount of time, a limited amount of bandwidth. And so uh, I have a duty to our investors, to the limited partners in Origin Ventures, uh, to, to make sure that I'm using my bandwidth to the, uh, to the most benefit for, for the firm. And so when I'm, when I'm working on, on a startup uh, and, help, and helping startups uh, as a board member, uh, it, it should be um, because Origin has invested. However, uh, we have, and our, and our, P, our LP investors know this, um, it, it's very important to our firm to be involved in our community, uh, to be helping entrepreneurs, uh, especially underrepresented entrepreneurs, uh, in in growing their companies. And so, uh, all the folks in our firm spend uh, spend a very good amount of time mentoring uh, founders who have startups, and uh, doing whatever we can to help them move the ball forward, even if it's not um, even if not in a space in a sector or at a stage that, that might fit within Origin Ventures focus yet. Nice, got it. So speaking of those initiatives, you know, helping other founders, what do you think is the best uh, program where founders can find mentors or, you know, just general support? So for example, I know uh, there are a few super angels like Jack Greco with Buffalo Ventures who are doing this program where they, every single week they find some person to basically volunteer their time to help other founders. Would you recommend any such, you know, programs or groups or, you know, what's, what's the place where founders should go to find this help? Well, that's a good question. I think it, it differs. Uh, it, it differs by geography. It differs by sector. Um, uh, I, one, one place that's interesting that I can, that I can at least give a, a kind of an overall generic answer to uh, many universities have have some resources available. Some of them are much more developed than others. But uh, I've I, that's been something that's changed over the last several years for the better. Uh, many universities are are providing a significant amount of support to entrepreneurs to startups. And so, if you have an affiliation, if you're a student at a university, or if you're an alum of a of a university that has uh, a resource like that. I would encourage connecting with them. Um, one, one of the benefits is that uh, there are generally alumni uh, of, the, of the school who can also be supportive, not just financially, but through uh, advice and counsel and connections to potential team members. Um, there's a lot of ways that an alumni network can be, uh, can, can be uh, helpful. Uh, and you know, also potential investors as well. Uh, so um, that's, that's kind of a again an overall generic answer. Realizing that that your listeners are are in many different places physically, geographically, and and so um, that's how that's how I respond to that. Perfect response. And yes, alumni network is one of the top five reasons why I'm actually going to college. So <laughs> do not underestimate its importance and value that it provides. So great advice on this. Good advice. Let's move on to the last question of today's episode. And this question is a call to action. So Steve, what do you want the listener to do right after this episode is over? What do I want the listener to do right after this episode is over? Mm -hmm. Well, uh, after they 
pick their their jaw up off the floor because of how amazed they are by the content of this episode. <laughs> no, I'm I'm kidding. I I, I you know I I think that uh, that there are that I I touched on a little bit before, uh, and that is that if they are already on a path of lifelong learning, they should continue that. Um, uh, read read a new book, um, uh, get, take an online course uh, uh, that that would expand your perspective and expand your uh, your mind and your horizon, and and perhaps uh, expose you to an idea that might you know turn into your next company or help you with this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, you know, I, I really think that that's that that's the the, the most important call to action. Um, you know, I think that, that perhaps something specific uh, to to a business in 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 a lot of cases, um, I have seen very early stage founders uh, who who have a who have a startup uh, that's still at a at a very young um, age. The, the sometimes it's the founder and the startup uh, uh, that are both young, uh, <laughs> and it, many times it is. Um, uh, the, uh, one of the things that I think is important for them to do is g- gathering as much data as possible, even from the very beginning. Get, gather data about your customers, about your prospects, about what's working, what's not working. Count everything, uh, and and you know do cohort analysis. Look, at, you know, you've got customers that came in six months ago versus customers that came in this month. How do they behave differently? How, how did they come on board? How did you get them? Why did they Why did they come on board now versus back then? How much did it cost? Uh, what source did you use to get them? I mean, all of this data, all of these data, are going to be useful as you continue to grow your business and can and make the use case, make the case for uh, for potentially funding it if it's appropriate. And listen, not every business is appropriate for for funding. And that's fine. Uh, there are many, many millions of businesses out there that are started by great entrepreneurs that have wonderful success over many years and provide nice lifestyles for, for their founders and the families and the employees, but they're not venture backable firms and that's great. Mm-hmm. But um, for those that are, that, you know, potentially would seek venture funding that think that, that, that they are in an opportunity that, that could be attractive to professional venture funding, the more data that you have kind of, you know, going back, hearkening back to our earlier part of our conversation, uh, the more data you have that, uh, you're able to uh, to back up your assumptions with when you present pro forma financials that are a hockey stick that go through the roof to a billion dollars. You know, the more data you have to back that up, the better chance you have of attracting somebody's interest as an investor. So, so perhaps the call to action in that case is start counting everything, gather data. <laughs> Start counting everything, gather data. I absolutely love it. Probably should be the title of the episode, actually. But yeah, I'm definitely definitely on board with pretty much all the advice that you said, especially the one where the listener has to pick up the jaw from how cool this episode was. And also about the books. Books are definitely an absolutely great option, especially if you feel like you know, you're kind of stumbling around and you're running out of ideas of how to expand your business. Pick up a book. It's 95% sure it's going to give you some ideas. And speaking of which, I'm going to make sure to leave all the links in the description of this episode that were mentioned in this episode. So if you want to read something new, if you want to explore stuff, if you want to follow 
the journey of Origin Ventures is going to be all in the description of this episode. So do that and as usually, have a good day.